my biggest life lesson is uh, you know I'm gonna say it to trust my God my biggest life lesson is to know your truth and trust your knowing know that you're a good person humans are flawed there's no such thing as perfect and if you're just showing up in your best version of yourself that's the best that you can do you do your best with what you've got when you've got it and you know that's the best advice I can give hey everybody welcome to finding the upside the podcast where we talk about navigating life and business and all the messy things that come with it to try to find a lesson and find the upside. Welcome today to our special series, Bossing Up One Tough Chick. Today I have in the studio Stacy Urig, and I am so excited to start this series where we will be interviewing women entrepreneurs who have started their own business and they share their journey all the challenges and the lessons that they have to inspire more women to become entrepreneurs. Welcome, Stacy, to the podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited. So excited to have you here today. So I wanted to give a little bit of an introduction, uh, tell you who Stacy is. Stacy is the mindset flipper. And Stacy has had an amazing bossing up journey. She started a company with her husband and family way back, closed that business, and created a whole new career that really tapped into her true gifts of intuition, compassion, and personal strength. She is known as America's Mindset Flipper, and she brings emotional strength, resilience, and post-traumatic wisdom to her clients as a certified trauma recovery coach. She helps people identify patterns and limiting core beliefs developed in childhood and teaches them the tricks and tips to flip that as adults, leading to more joy and connection. As a practitioner, she utilizes modalities like hypnosis and rapid transformation therapy, and Stacy helps her clients gain clarity and empower themselves to look at their challenges through a different lens, flip their mindset to find greater purpose, and most importantly, peace in their lives. So, yeah, uh, I have gotten to know Stacy over the years, and I'm so excited to share, uh, have her share her journey. Tell me, uh, I wanted you to expand on the, the bio that I that I took and really tell your story because it all starts with a story. It all starts with a story. Everybody has a journey. Can you share a little bit about the path that you took? Oh my gosh, to becoming a coach. Yes. I mean, I think most coaches will tell you that you know, the wounded become the healers, right? So I think it's really, really rare when somebody becomes a coach, specifically in my case, a trauma recovery coach, where they haven't gone through some sort of trauma themselves. Mm -hmm. So I had a pretty challenging childhood, um, really kind of starting around 10, 11 years old. And, you know, it was kind of a shit show. Mm. And I didn't understand what I was dealing with or why I was dealing with it, but I started struggling at a really young age with anxiety, deep, deep anxiety, probably 13, 14 years old. I mean, this would have been 1985. Wow. So nobody really was talking about anxiety then. People didn't talk about trauma or depression or anything. So, you know, I really fought hard for therapy in the 80s, mm. which was really fought against. Sure. 
um, but I pushed and I got it. And, you know, that's really where my journey started. Yeah. And then, as you mentioned, I was a business owner. I was in my family's business uh, from 1997 to 2012 when we closed in the middle of Superstorm Sandy. So for people that, you know, are not from New Jersey, Superstorm Sandy <laughs> was a mess. Really? And so, you know, to add insult to injury, we closed our doors during then and I had a breakdown for sure. And I feel like in my most recent time, that was the most profound because it was the first time I ever surrendered to yeah. really what was. Yeah. After like 35 or 30 years up to that point of struggling, I really surrendered to what was. And that was a, a big moment for me. Yeah. And then I kind of last 10 years have been on this massive personal journey of self-development and the natural progression of that was to take my business skills and build a coaching practice. It's so interesting, your whole journey. And I think that what I love about your story is that you were doing the thing that everybody does in terms of starting a career in a business and really not kind of understanding your own personal transformation and how that was impacting your life and then healing that, how that started to lead you to a whole different direction and career yeah. and the work that you do. Yeah. So that's yep. one of the things that's really exciting about your story. It was, it was really, you know, it was organic. That, mm -hmm. That's the best way I can put it. And, you know, in between the closing of that business and me opening my coaching practice, two things happened. One, I did kind of a turnaround for a small business owner and I found, you know, from day to day, I didn't really know what I was doing. And some days it was really logistical and procedural and systemic. And other days I was literally providing coaching and therapy to the business owner. Um, and I loved that part of what I did. Mm -hmm. I then moved from that into direct sales. Mm -hmm. And I was really good at direct sales. Yeah. But what I really, really loved in that role was building a team and mentoring people who didn't think that they could. Because yeah. what I knew in that space, and many people in direct sales, network marketing will agree to this, we all have the same tools, the same training, the same access to the same materials. It's really what happens in between your ears yeah, your that tells mindset. someone that they can or can't or that they should or shouldn't and that worry about other people's opinions, it really infiltrates someone's ability to succeed. And that, in that role, that was for sure the thing I enjoyed the most. Yeah. And so I just decided at some point, if that's what I enjoy the most, that's where I need to be putting yeah. my effort. And and again, like you said, it, it was so organic, mm -hmm. which was great. I know myself as working as a corporate executive, being a leader and leading a team, there's always that element of dealing, because you're dealing with humans, right? Dealing with how to build somebody's confidence and how to get through their own doubt and how to motivate them. And even in my own work as a business owner, working with my clients many times, it's the mindset that stops them from being able to pursue whatever it is they need to pursue or do whatever it is they desire yeah. to do. So I would agree that that's an area that is so critical to somebody's pat being able to pursue that path. You know, it's so funny, they don't teach that shit no, in college. No, no, no. You know, but and it's, it's such crucial. a mind block, for sure. It's so crucial sure. to success. For sure. Um, so that's how we got to where I am today. That's a, that's amazing. So um, in your whole journey, even back 
owning a business with your family and now this this transformation of what you do in your career. Talk to me about any of the barriers or challenges that you faced becoming that with yourself, your own mindset, your own blocks, your own things. Talk to me about some of that. Okay, so when I owned the business that I had with my family, you know, I was really in the throes, and it's so funny because I just was preparing a presentation on this today. Uh, I was so in the throes of like where so many of us find ourselves in our 20s and 30s, right? We're really trying to attach our worth Mm. and our validity and our value to how we perform. And uh, we really ignore all of the signals coming in. So I would say that for me... You know, I really had a tremendous amount of anxiety. When I say I had anxiety, it was just an underlying electric current 24-7. It never, ever, ever really shut off. Mm -hmm. And I was hustling my ass off for validation from my dad, if I had to be honest, and approval of other people. And it it led to extreme burnout. And uh, what I know now, and this is what I was working on earlier today, is there is a high correlation to the signs of developmental trauma and childhood trauma and burnout. You can't, I don't really believe you can have burnout without having unresolved childhood challenges because the reason why you're burnt out is because you're not willing to set boundaries, you're constantly people pleasing. You are constantly seeking people's validation and hustling for that accolade because there's a void. Yeah, and I think that's really common. That could resonate with a lot of people that don't even know that it's happening. But that behavior is so typical. And I find that even myself in my own journey trying to wrestle with that internal struggle of hustle, hustle, hustle. Why am I doing this? Like, why am I doing this? I think also a lot of people, you know, entrepreneurs in particular, you know, are what am I what am I after? And then it's a lot of times when they attain it, it's like, okay, but I'm not happy now. Why? I still have some block. That's why? it. But right? that's it. No, I think you just pinned it is I got the money. Mm-hmm. I got the car. Mm-hmm. I got the house. I got the promotion. I got more money. I got the bonus. And I'm still not happy. And, and so when you're on that hustle and you're chasing that dragon, that's the burnout. Yeah. Because now you get to the end or maybe you're not even at the end and you're exhausted, mm-hmm. you're fatigued, you're completely unfulfilled. Mm-hmm. And you're saying to myself, well, how is that possible? I, got, I acquired everything I was seeking, dot, 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 that should make me happy, but I'm not. Mm-hmm. And that's really where the... the the crux of it is. And that was me. Yeah. I had all the things. Wow. And I just, it, I wasn't unhappy. I couldn't settle my nervous system. Mm-hmm. I just was Understood. in constant, anxiety. constant trigger anxiety mode 24 7. Yeah. Well, it's very brave uh, to share that. So thank mm. you for being so vulnerable. And I think that that's something that re- can resonate. You know, a lot of people, it resonates with a lot of people. So, um, one of the things that's interesting when I'm looking at this question to ask you, um, you're the master mind flipper and uh, understanding that things that are happening to you are not happening to you, but for you. Mm. So I'm really interested to ask this question 
to dig into your own personal journey. Yeah. Um, what, you know, it's very common that a lot of business owners, entrepreneurs, CEOs, they highlight specific experiences that they had that at the time were negative or they thought oh, were yeah. negative, but really led them to a different place. And they could look back and say, wow, that set me on a path that really was an opportunity. Can you highlight one of those things in particular for you? <laughs> the closing of our business. Okay. I mean, it really was catastrophic. I thought and you were going to say yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, there were a lot of reasons why it was catastrophic. Number one, uh, it was a three-year death spiral. That's the way I see it. And I literally used to wake up. Now, my I owned it with my brother, my dad, and my husband was a part of the company, but he was not a partner in the company. And in the last three years, really, the, the, the kickoff for the death spiral was the shutdown of Lehman Brothers. When Lehman Brothers collapsed, it had a catastrophic effect on... Um, we, we owned a school, and we had a lot of lenders for the school. It was a high-end training company. And all of our lenders pretty much collapsed that night when Lehman Brothers went under. And what was left, they were not going to lend. So it caused this real calamity for us. And we did get very strategic and very creative, but it just wasn't enough. As a woman, I was the only woman executive in that company. And I was not heard. Mm. And I was not valued. And I saw that death spiral coming. I was considered the um, the town crier. Mm -hmm. I was trying in my best non-hysteric way. You see how I'm going with mm -hmm. these? Yeah. Um, to really express from a very logical point of view what I was seeing. Mm -hmm. And I was not being respected and heard. Mm. Hence, a further death spiral, a further death spiral. There was a lot of bad decisions made because we all make emotional decisions when our baby's dying. Mm -hmm. I mean, we had had this business for a really long time and it was blood, sweat, and tears yeah. to get it off yeah. the ground. At our height, I think we were 60 employees, 16,000 square feet. Like, it wasn't a little mom and pop shop. And, you know... We made a lot of bad decisions personally to basically personal finance it when it couldn't sustain on its mm -hmm. own. Mm -hmm. It is what it is. You make emotional decisions. And I think, you know, you can basically tell yourself, hey, like I'll probably get the money back. But mm -hmm. it became clear to me at a certain point that was unlikely to happen. So, you know, all of that's falling down. Tell me the question again. It's something that was negative at the okay, time. Okay, so this was catastrophic. Back, you can see because, it got to where you, are. you know, to get fully, like, really raw and real, by the time that business did end up closing, which was in the middle of Sandy, we really had no money. And when I say we had no money, people would be like, I have nothing. I'm like, no, we really had no money. Mm -hmm to raise a family of four children mm -hmm. 35 miles outside of downtown Manhattan. Mm -hmm. And I only l say that because living near Manhattan is really expensive. Yeah. And, you know, I, I was speechless. I couldn't breathe. Mm -hmm. I was terrified. Mm -hmm. Money 
is the is the devil in so many different ways. It is. It is. We were talking about Dante's Inferno before. It is the great with the with, with the horrible, <laughs> and um, you can do so many wonderful, beautiful things with money, but the grip that money has on people's sense of security and happiness is very false. And I say this to my clients a lot that are in financial struggle, that there was a day that I was laying on my kitchen floor crying. My youngest was in the crib napping and my oldest was maybe first grade. And I was crying because I had this aha moment of I had so much anxiety. Here we go again with the anxiety, so much stress. And it was all because I had no money. Mm. Kids were healthy. Yep. I had a roof over my head. I had just literally just enough to make my mortgage and pay my utilities and get food on the table. Like we were really stretched. And I remember thinking to myself, this piece of paper that can be shredded, dissolved in water, cut, burned, buried, has no value in that way, mm-hmm. has complete absolute complete control over how I feel my happiness right. and my sense of security and without it I'm terrified and in that moment I recognized really clearly I better figure out another way to feel safe and secure in my life and happy because I knew what our financial circumstance was and I knew it was going to be years and years and years like it could be a good three to five six years before we're comfortable financially again so really what you're saying is that ability to understand that and change your perception or understand your understand your value that you were giving the money was what your failing business was that set you on a different trajectory Very to different. deal with that and to resolve that within yourself. So when you talk about you know worst case scenario to best case scenario the worst case scenario was I literally didn't know how I was going to pay my mortgage and put food on my table. And then I also felt horrible about myself. And mm-hmm. I had so much shame. Like people mm-hmm. just make so many stories and assumptions about why somebody doesn't have money. And I knew that they weren't true, but I still had all this right, extreme course. shame to be an adult and a, a family member and not be able to provide that way. But what I recognized in that epiphany the gift in that was my gratitude for all the things I was taking for granted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also so many clients that I've worked with that, you know, do have financial stress. I work with a lot of women in narcissistic abuse and financial control and coercive control is really common in that kind of abuse. And they end up losing a lot of financial security and that on top of all of the other things happening can just feel like the worst stress in the world. So when I'm able to honestly share my story with them, right, they feel understood and heard. So you're bringing that in the work you do now. I do. Yeah. And that, that's another gift. Wow. So I, I Amazing. gained, it really was the worst thing we ever went through and yet the greatest gift we ever wow. received. Yeah, for sure. Like I said, you. Uh, this is some of the things that you teach and you preach. And mm-hmm. so hearing that particular story and how you've reframed that and brought that into what you do now is like the best lesson ever. So mm-hmm. thank you for sharing yeah. all of that. 
So it's interesting. You mentioned a couple of things in giving that perspective about being a woman mm-hmm. as a leader. And I want to lead you through a little bit of questioning with this topic of um, specific barriers that women face and, you know, um, gender equality with women getting the respect and being honored for the traits that they have and being treated differently because those same traits for a man are champions, but for women sometimes they're labeled and negatively impacted. So if you would uh, allow me, a lot of women talk about the difficulty in gaining respect and being heard and yeah. valued um, for their expertise, their knowledge, their opinions, their strength. How about their intuition? Their intuition, their assertiveness or decisiveness, whatever whatever trait it is that you want to say. It's really unfortunate. It's an unfortunate reality in our society uh, that women really have to work harder at that and that are measured on a different yardstick, right? Do you believe, is, are you of the opinion that women do have to work harder to maintain that respect? And what do you think we can do in, or we, it needs to be done in society to continue to equal that? What do you think needs to happen? So I think what needs to happen is people need to age out. I mean, that's kind of the truth in my opinion. I feel as age though, out? meaning this, the non-female workers of the world that are in the age group of, say, 55 and up are were indoctrinated into the workforce through this movement of just this unconscious bias. We can actually yeah. use that term. Mm-hmm. This unconscious bias, they're not thinking that they are better than per se, but the environment that they're in is constantly validating right. who has a voice. Right. Okay, so when I say age out, I look at my son's generation, I look at your son's generation, even, you know, say people in their 40s and 30s who are just more, if for lack of a better term, woke and are more in tune with equality and are being raised. And I can even see it with my teenagers. There's a level of equality just conversationally that I'm seeing amongst the teenagers now where nothing's off the table. Mm-hmm. And people are seen as valuable in a way that I did not see when we were growing up. You know, I grew up in the 70s and 80s, right. And 90s, right? So when I say age out, it really is like, you know, changing of the guards. I think it's going to be really hard to have a real catalyst change, in my opinion, for people that are, they have no desire to change, right? right? And so forgive me for saying it, but I'm thinking like white, male, 50, 60, 70. There's not a lot of benefit to them to change it up. But as we have this new generation coming in, I just think inherently there is going to be a 
an openness to more of a level, a more of a level playing well, field. Well, listen, I I'm curious to what to, you think to, about that. To, yeah, from your mouth to you know <laughs> their ears. <laughs> um, I don't disagree with you completely. I think that naturally each generation is going to progress. You know. Um, their own thoughts and feelings on this. I think we are in a period of time, and you and I have had a lot of conversation about bias and yeah. and, and and such, where we are talking about it at least. And I do think that the younger generation is more aware. Mm. However, I think there is a pointed pushback on being woke. Yeah. And, you know, this also... Um, this this pushback on uh, criticizing masculinity, right? Which I don't think anybody's mm. criticizing masculinity. I think we're criticizing toxic masculinity mm. and the gender roles and inequality that that and stereotypes that that supports. But I've heard some pushback on that even. So I think it's going to be up to that generation and us, you know, to talk about it and keep it in perspective well, I'm gonna, and, and look at it from different angles because you know, people take a black or white position on it and as, it's not. As you're talking, you know, I'm thinking of some of the people I know who are transgendered mm -hmm. and will be entering the workforce mm -hmm. as women. Yes. Who didn't necessarily start school as women. Right. And... You know, how does that change? Yeah. You know, because yeah. it part of it's this patriarchal yeah. upbringing yeah. where women have been taught to be quieter, to yes. be smaller, to be more yes. timid. And when you're not, you're seen as difficult, challenging, 100%. dot, dot, dot. Yes. So that'll be really interesting because, again, this is all coming up in this, in this, in the culture yeah. where there's more acceptance of, of a lot of different things that we did not have. Well, and there's at least the attempt of acceptance of those things, agreed, right? Without agreed. that pushback. And but I, but I would agree with you that it will see. You know, yeah. it's, it's the good thing is is that it's being discussed on different sides. But definitely, it takes um, all of us, right? It takes all of us to move that needle. I was having a discussion actually with. Uh, my son and some of his friends who are in their early 20s and on this very topic. And, you know, um, I think that it's important that both men and women do their do their part yeah. in this. Right. Um, and, you know, in order to be valued, we have to ensure that we are making sure we're asking to be valued on the right things. But you see, here's where my mindset flipper comes in is you have to believe that you're valuable. This is true. So back to you the know, original I mean, issues. this is really where yeah. it all comes 100%. down because if you don't feel that you are important or if you lack self-worth or you don't feel you're deserving of right. value, which really starts at a very young age, yeah. it doesn't just come out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. It really happens in your developmental stages between mm -hmm. the ages of zero and, say, eight. Mm-hmm. That's a whole other ball of wax. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. You know? 
But, you know, that's, that's, I think, the thing is that we both recognize that these stereotypes, this inequality, yeah. and this bias, and unconscious bias many times that gets passed on from generation just mm. because of the family structure or whatever. But I think it's very industry-focused, um, too. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's definitely work to do. I mean, as a leader in your career, have you ever been labeled in a way, in a negative way, I that mean, has impacted you? Not in this career. Okay. Not, not in coaching. But when I owned the other business, of course, definitely. Mm-hmm. I mean, here's the sad truth. This is the sad truth. I was one of three owners of the business. I was the only female. Mm-hmm. I'm smart. Mm-hmm. I know I'm smart. Mm-hmm. I'm intuitive. I listen. I have good creative ideas. I'm a good creative solution person. Mm-hmm. And every time my solutions were brought to the table, they were ignored. So I did a test. I went to my friend Jonathan at the time, who was worked in my company, and I said, "We're going to go into that meeting." Mm. And, and you're going to present it's gonna the be- idea. <laughs> I want you to present this. And how did it play out? Best fucking thing they've ever heard. Wow. It broke my heart. My business was important to me. This really comes down to a father-daughter conflict, mm-hmm. um, which it is. I mean, that's a whole other podcast. So, yeah. you know, I love my dad, but there's been a lot of challenges there. And so I kind of swallowed my ego. Pride is a big thing. And I just thought, what do I want for this company? This is not, I'm not, I don't need my dad to hear me right now. What I need right now is for this company to stay afloat. Right. And this is a really good idea. Right. And if it's going to be heard that way, I'm willing to let it be heard that way. But trust me, when that company closed, I made it very clear. (laughs) Which, when I say catalyst ideas, I mean things that literally shifted the course of the company. Mm -hmm. Which ones were my ideas that I strategically had somebody else bring to the table? Yeah. Um, but I didn't do that till well after because I just, I didn't have the bandwidth for it. Yeah. You know, it's sad. I, I, I hear from a lot of, uh, women leaders that they say that they've been labeled in a negative way. And I can mm-hmm. even attest to that, you know, um, in terms of the assertiveness that you bring uh, being labeled as difficult. Um, being outspoken, right, for the good and being passionate about something yeah. and being like difficult, you know, contentious, ruffles feathers, yeah. things like that. Um, I think it does come down to as a woman, though, and to be a leader is to not be impacted by that label, but break free of it by owning it, owning it. And then, of course, the work that we have to do as a society and hopefully generationally it will progress, that we can start to see things differently and not label them in that negative way. So it's interesting, I I come up with all these different sayings and I, you know, I kind of, I share them with my clients and one of them is know your truth and trust your knowing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when we get labeled, whether it's direct or or indirect, like we kind of know it's being said about us, but we haven't really heard it, Mm -hmm. but you can get the vibe. If I were to coach somebody through that, I would really have them focus on the things that they know to be true about mm-hmm. themselves. Mm-hmm. And dot, 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 does somebody else's opinion of you or lack of validation of what you know to be true 
more important than what you know to be true because right. you can know your truth but the crucial part to this is trusting yourself mm-hmm. and trusting that your knowing is spot on and not needing access to outside validation for your truth to be right. true right right yeah yeah, it's, uh, you know, I've actually collaborated on a book. I'm so excited for it to come out, but it's talking about the power of labels. And I think it was maybe 25 or 30 women that each wrote a chapter. Mm. I wrote one as well about a label that negatively impacted you and the story of how it affected you negatively and how you broke free of that label or owned it and flipped it. Oh, I love um, this. So can you guess what mine was? I would rather you tell me. Bossy. (laughs) And I flipped that and owned it to decisive. (laughs) You know, it's like how many guys are being called bossy? Mm -hmm. They're not. It's so obnoxious. And it really starts when we're like two. Mm -hmm. For sure. For sure. Son of a... Um, so we talked, you know, about gender inequality, and I think we actually touched on uh, a little bit. There's a lot of talk and attention about other types of inequality. Mm. Um, as a leader, as an entrepreneur, just in the business world and in society in general, what other types of inequality have you witnessed and believe we need to address and why? I know we could have a whole podcast on I that. I mean, but, yeah. Uh, I mean, know. tell me where it doesn't exist. Yeah. You know, you can go from um, socioeconomic to gender, sexual orientation, color of your skin. Uh, It's everywhere. And, you know, what I think is the missed part, because it's so simple, is we're all just human in the sense that we're literally just all made up of the same shit. Yeah. And whatever it is that's a threat to someone else, that becomes the the, the determining factor. Yeah. And you know, it's what's sad, I think, is that again, this whole pushback of this wokeness, you know, mm-hmm. where we're starting to talk about these things where these uncomfortable truths that we have to face. Unfortunately, the pushback on that is like, oh, you know, we don't need to have this in, in our in our workplaces oh. or it impacts the culture of the team. But who's saying that it they impacts, don't want it? It's the people that it's the people that you just that described. have the privilege. Yeah, it's the people and the people that you just described that yeah. feel like they're losing something. And we're not, we're all humans, right? Exactly. And understanding the unconscious bias, the unequal treatment and how that plays out in the team environment, as an entrepreneur leading a team in a company, setting the company culture, it impacts the ability for that that group, that unit, to be successful no and doubt. cohesive. So it's things that have to get addressed. Uh, and as a leader, you you know, and as an entrepreneur, as you build your team, you have to make sure that you're checking your own bias to be able yeah. to address the things that are occurring you know, to build that team and have it function. No doubt. Yeah. We could talk. We literally could a whole do an entire, a whole, we might. you could do an entire podcast yeah. show just on, you know, not just an episode, but like an entire series More around More to come this. on that. Maybe we will. <laughs> um, so now I want to lead you into a group of questions again that is right in your sweet spot with regard to 
um, mindset, but particularly barriers to growing and maintaining your success. Talk to me a bit about mindset and self-doubt. I know you touched on it a little bit, but I wanted to say that it's really common for many business owners to struggle to believe in their own ability to create their vision um, and their own ability to really push what they want to do. I hear things like this all the time from my clients who are trying mm -hmm. to build a business or even some of my colleagues. Can I really do this? Who do I think I am? Mm. Right? Um, doubting their own value. Thinking too small. You know, I want to create a million dollar business. I mean, no, this... I want to create a multi-million dollar business. Ta did you have moments of doubt? And oh, yeah. how did you go through that and change your own mindset? Yeah, so... You know, it's funny. I just came back. I, I mean, this is January. So in October, I went to a, a three-day intensive with Mary Morrissey in, uh, in Dallas. And it was really interesting. I, I was brought as a guest of someone there, and I didn't really know who Mary Morrissey was at the time, do now. She's a brilliant thought leader in kind of the mindset space. And... She talked a lot about the whisper. They talked a lot about these these quiet whispers that we all hear. So for a long time, I had heard this quiet whisper of you need to be coaching, right? You need to be, I used, what I was hearing in my head is you need to make an income by making an impact, a bigger impact. But the voice in my head, the other voice, right? The conflicting voice was, who the fuck are you? Mm -hmm. You don't have a psychology degree. You're not a social worker. You're not a therapist. You, you'd have to dot, 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 dot. And I didn't like hearing those voices, but they were really as loud as, you know, the whisper of become a coach. And so I kind of like hemmed and hawed and I kind of kept this as like a secret to myself of like I really desired this, but I didn't, I probably, I didn't even want to tell anybody about it because wow. I didn't even know that it would result in anything so then that was even worse right i can want to crush the dream i'm not even sharing with anyone but then i i contacted a few friends of mine that had phds in psychology and i was like this is where i'm stuck and they all said the same thing and this is funny and this is no diss to tony tony robbins because i think he's great <laughs> but they all said the same thing guy doesn't have a single cred like he doesn't he didn't go and become a life coach and do any like but he had really great wisdom to share right. there's many and people that's what you have yeah there's and there's people. value in that wisdom and so i really i had to get comfortable with that idea but for sure when i was thinking about starting this coaching practice that that was definitely a self-doubt piece yeah. You know, it's such a common thread. And I think that many people um, that, that go to create a business have the same issues mm. and doubt that and whatever it is that they're doubting. But uh, agreed, I think what you touched on with, you know, not having the credentials, right, yeah. is one of the things that I've definitely seen is you have something to say and there's many people who have something to say nobody's going to say it or give that perspective like you do oh, right thank you. and um i think that's something that we all or anybody out there who 
has knowledge that they want to share, has to own and come to terms with because it doesn't really matter what school you went to or what kind of letters you have after your name. Nobody's going to say it like you and have the experience and perspective. Well, it's funny that you should say that because, of course, I have my own coach and I tend to hire coaches that are pretty spiritually connected. And I did end up going back to school, but I didn't go back for the credential per se. I went back because I was fascinated on the topic. Of course, the content, yeah. And I, I, I couldn't get enough of it. Yeah. So I went back and I got certified in hypnosis and rapid transformational therapy. And then later on as a trauma recovery coach, and I remember my coach saying to me, she's very spiritually collected, almost like medium. She goes, your guides are telling me to tell you to stop. Like there's, there's, you don't need any more letters after your name. You don't need any more, like you have the knowledge. And what I said to her is, okay, well, can you just tell them I'm not doing it for the cred? I'm doing it because I want to be learning and learning and learning even more from different points of view. And I also love being in these environmental settings with other people that are as geeked out Mm -hmm, about this mm -hmm. as I am. This is for me. It's not for the credential. Right, understood. Um, so that was a really interesting thing to understand about myself. I love that you shared that, and, and uh, thank you for, for bringing that up because that's, I think, one of the unique things that as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, is to understand being an infinite learner is not a bad thing, no. right? It's like you have to have that craving you know, for new information and the ability to master certain things to move you know, yourself and your business to the next place. So I applaud you for that. Yeah. And uh, for sure, anybody out there, you know, craving that knowledge and seeking it, obviously you don't want to not take action, right? Because yeah. I think there's some people who do that. Oh, where they learn, 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 sure. but don't take action. Yeah. But for sure, being that infinite learner is such an important piece of continuing to be successful and grow and maintain your mm-hmm. success for sure. Mm-hmm. So... You have a very unique perspective in terms of building that family business, as you spoke Mm -hmm. of. And now, um, as your new career, you are a one-man show, or do you have a team again? No, I'm a solopreneur. Okay, solopreneur. That's tough. Two different, yeah, I hear you. (laughs) Okay, for many years, I had no infrastructure. No, I had, you know, outsourced project people and things like that. I have that, but I Now I have a team, and it's a whole different game. So you have both perspectives as well. Yeah, yeah. But talk to me about, for those who are listening, in terms of, you know, I'm trying to bring out Uh, the barriers to being successful in a business and talk a little bit about uh, barriers to capital. So my specific questions are, in either uh, case, your family business that you started, what were the obstacles in funding the dream that you have even today? There's so many ways that people build businesses, right? People Mm -hmm. borrow money from friends or family, start out doing it as a side hustle while working a full-time gig. Some get a loan, some take VC money. Share with us your experience, if you will, in either in either uh, side, the route you took to start out. Well, it's interesting because with uh, with the family business, it was self funded to begin with, and then as of course as we grew and grew and grew, banks were really saying, "Let us help you be a part of that, right?" Because they're going to make money on that too, and and that did help us accelerate our growth for sure. 
uh, we had loans up against assets and, and receivables, and, and it was a smart business move to do it that way. What was interesting was because of the way that business closed in such a traumatic way, when it came to this business, I was very fearful of, of spending money. And I, 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 I made the conscious decision not to take out a loan. Now, I mentioned at the beginning that I did have a successful run with network marketing. And, and honestly, if anybody's ever interested in network marketing, I highly recommend it. I still have great um, you know, recurring income that still comes through from that business. And I don't really work it anymore. Um, and that's a choice just because I want to put my efforts where I want. That was a little efforts. bit of the intermediary with you transferring from owning the business, closing it down, yeah. and then I mean, I'm still to this a career. consultant within yes. that organization, and it's yeah. been seven years. Yeah. But I used, I had quite a bit of money saved from that business, and I used that to seed and fund mm -hmm. the coaching practice. Um, because when I did want to go to school, it wasn't cheap, and I, you know, we, we're always going to still be in, in, you know, rebuilding mode within my family because of how damaging financially it was to close that other business. So I didn't want to go to my husband and, and ask to take money out of that account that we were so, you know, desperately trying to regrow. And I didn't really want to go take a business loan either. So I had enough money saved and more than that. Uh, to be able to fund and seed. So I think having a side hustle to, to fund and seed your full hustle, that really, yeah. really worked out very, very well for me. Yeah, yeah, and it's a common, it's a common path that people take and one that uh, definitely can be uh, advantageous to start out, especially if you have that full-time job and then can get that going. Mm -hmm. um, you know, one of the things that... Um, I see happen with a lot of business owners is, as you said, banks start to come and investors start to come when you're successful mm. and want to offer you money or acquire a piece of your business. Yeah. You know, whether you did that or not, I have my own opinions about that. I've had people approach me as well. Talk to me about what is your position about taking either uh, VC money or allowing people to buy a piece of your business? Would you do it? Would you advise it? Had you done it? What are I your personally, thoughts? I mean, look, I can say this now, but it's not being offered to me. So who's to say what mm -hmm. I would say? But I, my gut tells me I would not do it. But I think it's absolutely personal. For me as a coach, what I do is very personal. Yeah. And it's very singular. And it's very one-to-one -one approach. I do have dreams and visions of making my knowledge available to people on a more one-to-many basis mm -hmm. because I think the message that I'm sharing is really important mm -hmm. and it can help a lot of people. But typically, this is my experience, when VC money is being offered or banks are you know, interested in offering a loan, they want a good return on investment and they're going to want you to expand and they usually want you to do it in a pretty quick way so they can make their money back. And I just don't see that as a play in this particular business for me. I agree. Because it's so intimate. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you, if, if you were to grow in this kind of business the way I'm doing it now, 
quickly and rapidly, I think you lose what makes it so unique and special, Agreed. right? Mm -hmm. So for me personally, I would not, yeah. but I think it is an individual decision. And I think depending on what your product or service is, it's it's worth considering. Yeah, it, it. I would agree. It's a definitely individual decision. I think one of the things for me, um, and one of the things I believe is one of the things you have to understand is if you are taking VC money or you are having people take a percentage of your business, you then do lose the autonomy. So in your 100%. situation, you know, or anybody that does any custom work and you know intimate work like you do, really can't give up I that wouldn't. control. I personally wouldn't either, you know, and then also VC, I had um, one uh, client that I was helping that talked about, she grew it very slowly mm. because she knew that if she took money, they were going to want her to do it cheaper. Their way, yeah. And she didn't want to sacrifice her own values of how she built the company and how she built, and it was a product, you know, and, and how what her vision was. And so I think you're right, it is personal, but those are all sides to consider. Yeah. Is, you know, that's one of the things. Now, that's another reason why it gives credit to building it as a side hustle, so you can get it going mm. while you still have either a, you know, a network marketing yeah. gig or a full-time gig or what have you, so. You know, the one I thing I would important. say with regards to, you know, do you take the money or whatever? I, I think that the person that finds themselves in that challenge or that, you know, it's not even really a quandary. It's just, what do I do here? Right. Is to make sure that you're making a decision from an abundance mindset versus a scarcity yeah, mindset. Yeah, for sure. Right? So the scarcity mindset would be, without it, I would never be able to do it. And this is my only chance. Mm -hmm. And abundance is what I want is available to me. And if right. I put in the work and I put in the time and, and I set the intention appropriately, right. the right opportunity will come. Right. Right. We don't want people making decisions on that out of fear. For sure. So another barrier to growing, and I hear this a lot from business owners, a big pain point in growth is maintaining quality. Um, and I'm curious with regard to not your current situation, but the mm. training company, did you face this issue? Oh, yeah. And how did you address it and the things you did? Did they work? Yeah, sometimes. Okay. I mean, look, the reality is, is when you start as a shop of three people and you, mm -hmm. and you end up at your height, you know, your largest at 60 people, there are growing pains. And... Part of the growing pain is your vision being executed in the way that you want your vision executed. And then, of course, it comes down to hiring the right people who have the same vision, right? And that the vision is as important to them and that their why is as important as yours for why they're doing the work. And then hopefully, if it is, the quality will be good. But if you're not hiring well and you're doing it rapidly, and the person's does, the reason for doing the work is not in alignment to your core values for why it should be done a certain way, there will always be a lack of quality. Yeah. And then I think what it really boils down to is swift corrective action. You know, it's really getting very, very clear quickly so you can try to change course. And if you can see that it's not working, then really change extreme course and, and maybe let that person go. But 
what ends up happening is too many people get hung up on wanting to be liked. And so they're not really as clear with their messaging. Um, and they're so afraid that if they let somebody go or if they tell them to do it differently, that that person's going to be upset with them. And, you know, this is when we come down to and say it's a business. Yeah. Well, I, I definitely think that that can occur. And, you know, um, there's so much nuance to this. You so know, much. one of the things in my what I do and I help businesses grow and scale is what we look at is lots of things. It doesn't just come down to people. It comes down to the whole things we were talking about before. What is the culture? What's the vision? Do the people know? Are they engaged? There's lots of ways to engage people. It's not necessarily always who did you hire. It's how did you onboard them? How did you train them? What are your systems like? Do you have systems? In order to grow from three to 60, you've got to put You've got to put some automation and processes in place no to maintain that quality. So there's so much nuance to be able to scale in that. And, you know, there's so many areas where it could go wrong. So that's and, one of the but things. But here's the thing is, is it's going that. to go wrong. One, yeah. Right? Like but the mistakes you're going to have it. it mm-hmm. Yeah. You're going to fail. Yeah. You should fail. Right, like you, that's the, how you learn. That's how you're going right. to learn. Like you have to attempt mm-hmm. God knows how many times um, in order to make it right and solid. Right. And it's not a bad thing to find an issue in how you're producing or how you're, what is Listen, the workflow course like? course correction. Right, Work, lo, workflow. Course correction is constant. Yeah. And if sure. you're not course correcting, you're not being innovative enough, in Agreed. my opinion. Agreed. We agree on that. Yeah. <laughs> so I've come to my final section, which is the lessons learned and takeaways. And mm-hmm. so before we get into some of these rapid fire questions, I just wanted to kind of set the stage here. You know, you just said it. We all make mistakes yeah. on our journey, for sure. Um, if you think about your whole entrepreneurial experience, can you come up with what the biggest mistake you made was and why? I mean, the thing that comes to my mind really quickly was the work-life balance. I had none of it when I owned the family business. And part of that was because as a woman, it was not respected. If I'm a partner, it was really a mismessaging, right? You're a partner, just like I am, dot, 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 all the other men. And so therefore, you should show up, dot, 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 just like we do. But they're going home to meals made and laundry done and dishes done and diapers cleaned and whatever. And I'm not. Mm. And so I quickly started setting boundaries, right? And that was not very well received. Um Tell me that question again. What was your biggest mistake you made? So and my why? biggest mistake was not listening to my gut. Mm. And my gut was no, to say no. Wow. Um, and to push back. And because I, nothing broke my heart more than the person that was at home with my child calling me at 5 6 o'clock and saying, I, I did my best to try to keep him up, but he's already asleep. Mm. Yeah, and then you miss the, the worst. Yeah. The worst, the worst feeling for me personally. Because look, my kids are adopted. I busted my butt to build my family. I went through years and years and years of of infertility and you know, nothing really meant more to me than having a family except for receiving accolades and validation from my dad. 
and I couldn't get both. No. So I ended up having to drop one, and it wasn't my kids. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So that was the biggest mistake I made was really not sticking with my boundaries and listening to my gut earlier on. I think that this could be a handbook for many women. <laughs> entrepreneurs and leaders it is really tough stuff yeah, and and being real. this is a big part of what i was working on today was the boundary setting and the lack thereof is leading to such extreme burnout oh, yeah. and it's really unnecessary yeah for sure what is the best piece of advice that you followed that you believe helped you become a better entrepreneur listen to your gut mm, okay i love it Conversely, what is the worst piece of advice you received on starting or running your business? Don't listen to your intuition. <laughs> Go with just the data and the facts. Oh, I mean, God. right? No. Right. Um, okay. What is the number one piece of advice you would give to someone who's working on building or growing their business? Trust your gut. Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> I mean, really. Let's it, print the bumper sticker. I mean, this really, <laughs> we should make this into a bumper sticker. It really comes down to that. And yeah. it goes back to what I said before. Know your truth and trust your knowing. And that is the gut. Love it. So I am always ending the interview for One Tough Chick by asking everyone to share what I call my life lesson. Can you complete this sentence? My biggest life lesson is... You know I'm going to say it, <laughs> to trust my gut. My biggest life lesson is to know your truth and trust your knowing. Know that you're a good person. Humans are flawed. There's no such thing as perfect. And if you're just showing up in your best version of yourself, that's the best that you can do. You do your best with what you've got when you've got it. And, you know, that's the best advice I can give. Love it. Well, thank you so much for being so vulnerable. Thank you for sharing your personal journey. I look forward to another episode with another female boss, one tough chick. Thank you for joining us. See you next time on the next episode of Finding the Upside. Thank awesome. you so much. It was so good. <laughs>